When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy, Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out A Tad Predictable, hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. (laughs) 
What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Friday. It is the 17th of November. Hope you're all well. Uh, you'll have to excuse my voice today if I sound a little bit strange. Don't quite a full range of movement just yet, but should be good by Monday. But podcasts need to be done and things need to be discussed. And the thing that needs to be discussed right now is the fact that Everton have been given a 10-point Premier League deduction for their financial wrongdoings over the last few years. Everton have destroyed the profit and sustainability rules. Um, they've posed, they posted financial losses for fifth consecutive year in March after reporting a 44.7 million deficit in 21-22. What we know is that Premier League clubs are permitted to, to lose 105 million over a three-year period. And Everton were very open about the fact that they were in breach of the profit and sustainability rules. Now, what breaching those rules allowed them to do was stay in the division. In 21-22, they stayed up in 16th place, four points ahead of Burnley, who went down in 18th place. Had they been, as they should have been, given a six-point deduction in that season, Everton would have been relegated. Last season, they stayed up in 17th, 17th place. Leicester went down on 34 points. Leeds went down on 30. Had Everton been given the deduction they should have gotten, they would have gone down. So you've got Burnley, you've got Leeds. You've got Burnley and you've got Leicester. And to a lesser extent, Leeds, because they would have gone down even if Everton had been relegated. But still, all three of those clubs are now preparing legal action against Everton. And those lawsuits will likely come to several hundreds of millions of pounds. So that will hurt Everton a lot. However, a 10-point deduction now doesn't really hurt them all that much. We're only 12 games into the season. What that what that deduction does is it puts them on four points in 19th place. Ahead of Burnley on goal difference, one point behind Sheffield United, two points behind Luke. If Everton were to win this coming, not this weekend, coming the following weekend, uh, the next round of Premier League games at home to Manchester United, they could be out of the bottom three with just one win if Luton and Sheffield United both fail to win their next games. Now, both of them have games they could win, but both of them are also fairly dreadful. So you wouldn't put much faith in them to win those games. But regardless of whether it's in one game's time or three games' time, the likelihood is that we'll get to Christmas and Everton will be out of the bottom three, thus rendering the 10-point deduction meaningless in many ways. Getting deducted the 10 points this season, considering how poor the bottom three, in truth, the bottom four prior to this deduction had been, that's including Bournemouth, meant that this is more a slap on the wrist than anything else. Because it's giving Everton 26 games where all they need to do is take a point more than Sheffield United two points more than Luton, and the same number of points as Burnley. And if they do all of those things, they're going to stay up. 
So they'll have been, been allowed to cheat, and at the end of it, they'll be in the same position they were at the start of it. The difference could come in those lawsuits from the three relegated clubs who, especially Burnley and Leicester, will rightly be furious. Now, Burnley obviously are back in the Premier League and Leicester are going very, very well in the Championship and look certain to come back up. But their argument will be it cost us huge amounts of money in terms of TV revenue. Even with the parachute payments, you're still losing it massively. And also... We've had to then fund all these new signings to stay up. We've had to sell some of our best players because we've left the top division. So for Leicester, your Madisons and your Barnes, they left because Leicester got relegated. So those lawsuits will come. And my opinion is that the reason Everton are acting that as if they're shocked and disappointed and planning to file an appeal is because they also want to delay these lawsuits. They want to push them back. Everton's financial situation is precarious at best. They're significantly in debt. They run at a loss and their stadium is going to cost more than they expected and they don't have a way to pay for it. Uh, by the way, the stadium does look like it's going to be fantastic. The most recent update uh, on their YouTube channel, it does look like it's it's a tremendous uh, looking stadium when it gets finished. But at the same time, they just can't afford it really now. The, the timing of it could not be worse for them. If they were relegated, the implications for Everton were enormous because of how financially shoddy they've been. And Everton aren't in a position where they could just go back, go down, reload and come back up. Like, I, I think if Everton had gone down, you were potentially looking at two, maybe even three years in the championship for them because they don't have a lot of depth. The handful of really good players they have, Calvert-Lewin, Onana, Branthwaite, Tarkovsky, Michael Enko, those players I don't think are going to want to play in the championship. Pickford wouldn't want to play in the championship, but I think selling him would be of benefit to Everton. It would have hurt them badly to go down. But it also could have represented an opportunity for an, an institutional change for Everton to rid themselves of this loser's mentality that they've got and start afresh. But from a health and future point of view for the club, immediate health and future, it would have definitely been a crushing blow. This points deduction doesn't really affect them all that much. Yeah, you get 10 points taken off you. It sucks a little bit. But it's not like you're on negative points. It's not like you've got ground to make up on the bottom three. Even the 12-point deduction would have only left them four points behind Luton three behind Sheffield United and two behind Burnley. With a 10-point deduction, it's, you know, they're just back in that mix where they were before this recent run. But remember, Everton took these 10 points over the last five games. All we've basically done is scrub the results from their last five games and marked them down as five defeats rather than three wins, a draw and a defeat. So... 
they're still in the same position they were in. It just means they're going to have to double down a little bit, put in that bit more of a shift like they have in recent weeks. Because they've done very, very well in recent weeks to turn things around for themselves. But nobody should have any doubts. Everton, as things stand, are going to stay up. There's no question they'll take two points more than Luton and a point more than Sheffield United. Burnley are the one that could change things because they have the talent. I just don't know if they have the manager. We know they don't have the goal scorer. And Lyle Foster obviously is away from the group right now dealing with some issues. Um, speedy recovery to him. I hope all all turn th- all things turn in the right way for him. Uh, they don't have that lead defender that they need. But the biggest thing is company just seems really naive at this level. In the championship, you can play that way if you've got the talent advantage. In the Premier League, you can't play that way when you've got such a talent disadvantage. And despite the fact there's a lot of talented players there, Burnley are at a significant talent disadvantage against half the league at least. You know, it's the same for any of the teams down the bottom. They're just at a talent disadvantage. Um, so Everton get this punishment. They'll kick and scream, but eventually they will accept it and they'll stay up. And Jamie Carragher can crib and cry all he wants about how it's unfair, it's unjust. It's not unjust, Jamie. They cheated for multiple seasons. Other clubs went down because Everton were allowed to cheat. It's not unjust. It's not unfair. The only people it's unfair to are Burnley, Leicester, and to a lesser extent, Leeds. And he cribs and he cries about how, oh, the the six clubs tried to leave the Premier League. Well, actually, no, they didn't, Jamie. At no point did they try to leave the Premier League. They tried to leave UEFA competitions. But you see, the Super League would have negatively affected Sky which would negatively affect Jamie Carragher. So Carragher and Neville and the rest of their cronies at Sky will spin these lies about the Super League, despite the fact that none of them have ever actually looked into what it was, what it was going to be, and have never told a word of truth about it. But Carragher's inner Everton fandom will always be there, regardless of the fact he's got such a long association with Liverpool. So he's speaking as both a Sky employee and as an Everton fan, he's not speaking any truth. Everton deserved more of a punishment. This is the punishment they've got. And now I see people obviously on social media look at this and say, okay, well, what of Manchester City? Right, well, bear in mind, Manchester City is 115 counts. This was one. City's case is so much bigger and so much more complex. And those 115 counts, they only date up to 2018 not because that's when the cheating stopped but that's when the investigation started when this concludes with city and the 115 charges there needs to be another entire investigation from 2018 onwards and people have said oh well if city get relegated or city should be relegated based on this and there's absolute truth to that based on this punishment manchester city should be thrown down through the leagues. But does that really hurt them? Does that really stop City in their tracks? Does that really change anything? No, because they'll still have their Premier League titles. They'll still have their FA Cups. They'll still have their League Cups. They'll still have all those ill-begotten gains. 
And if they go down, let's say they get relegated to the championship, all they'll do is they'll loan out Haaland, they'll loan out Diaz, they'll loan out Rodri, they'll loan out a few others, they'll go down, they'll run their way through the championship, come back up, bring all those players back in, and they'll immediately go back to being a force. And all it will have done is it will have knocked them off course for one year. That's all that does. It doesn't really punish them. It doesn't really punish them to relegate them to the championship. All it does is it allows them in some ways to just reset things. Maybe get rid of a few players that they don't really want anymore. Gives them an opportunity to blood more youngsters and make actually make themselves stronger in the long run. Then they come back up. And they immediately go back to competing for the title and being favourites for the title. They immediately go back to being favourites to get into the Champions League and win the Champions League. So it doesn't really affect them. Yeah, they'd miss maybe two seasons of Champions League football. That would be it. That would be it. But they'd definitely be back in straight away. First season back in, they're finishing no lower than third. They're getting into the European Cup. So at most, you're getting two years without them in the Champions League and you're getting one year without them in the Premier League. But that's it. That's all there would be. They would still have all the trophies won during this period where they have cheated. That is a fact. And if you look at other sports where similar things have happened, where there's been financial misgivings, Saracens in rugby are the most uh, obvious club to look at. They were relegated quite recently for significant breaches of the salary cap rules in Premiership Rugby. Now, they got relegated. They went down. They immediately won the championship, came straight back up and finished second in the Premiership and then won the Premiership in year two back in. So they got to keep all their best players as well. So what what actually happened to them? Did, Did they really get punished? Because I look at it and I see that in the five years prior to their relegation, they won four league titles, a cup and three European Cups. And they still have all of those Cups listed next to their name. So what punishment was there? They kept all their best players and kept all their success. The same thing would happen to City. The real way to punish them is to take away that success. And say, you know, you didn't win it honestly. So you didn't win it at all. And don't, I'm not saying hand them out to other clubs, hand them to the clubs that finish second. No, no. Just void them. Just void, void them. If we look at the NRL, where In the not-too-distant past, we have had some cheating done. Melbourne Storm were stripped of their 2007 and 2009 Premiership titles due to breaches of the salary cap. Those titles are just marked as withheld. They weren't passed on to... The Sea Eagles in 07 and the Parramatta Eels 
in 09. They were just withheld because no one else won them, so they shouldn't be given them. You look at Serie A when they took the titles off Juventus. They stripped them of three, two. But they awarded one of them. They just gifted one of them to Inter Milan. Gifted it to them. Inter Milan have a title that they didn't win. And it's utterly meaningless. But Inter get to claim it, despite having finished second that year. And I think it's a farce. Whereas the other title that was taken off Juve just sits empty. 0506, Serie A. Inter Milan did not win that title. They finished second. Juventus won the title 15 points clear. And when we look at that title, we see Inter top 76 points. You look all the way down, Juventus bottom 91 points. That title is a farce. The previous year, Juventus won the league. The title has been stripped of them. But no one was gifted it. That made a lot more sense. That was the proper way to do things. You strip them of the success. You don't hand it to anybody else. So I'm not a Liverpool fan sitting here claiming that we should have two more league titles. We would have, if not for the cheating, but we don't have. But those titles should not be given to us, just like the other two shouldn't be given to... uh, Just like two of the others shouldn't be given to United and the other shouldn't be given to Arsenal. All five titles won in the Guardiola reign should be just null and void. The 13-14 title, which Liverpool also finished second in, should be null and void. The 11-12 title, which United finished second in, null and void. So I'm not saying you give Liverpool three, you give United three, and you give Arsenal one. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying take them all away. Strip them and leave them empty. And in the history books, mark it down, title forfeited due to industrial-scale cheating. If you don't win it honestly, you don't win it at all. And the same will be true of Chelsea. Because as this Chelsea situation unravels, and we learn more and more about the flagrant cheating that took place under Abramovich, which, let's be clear, we all knew was happening at the time. We all knew he was paying players under the table, that he was paying managers under the table. They weren't going to Chelsea for any reason other than the ludicrous sums of money that were being funneled to them, both through the books and off the books. The same thing as City. Where do you think City got the idea from? But you don't take Chelsea's titles and then hand them to somebody else. You just take them away. And we're in a a strange situation now in the Premier League, where you start to look back over recent years and you start to look at individual seasons and you start to think there's been more titles won through cheating than there has through just honest being the best team in the last 20 years. You've got Chelsea, 
who parade around with their titles and City, who parade around with theirs. So for Manchester City, they've won seven league titles in the last 12 years. Let's say, let's take it to when Roman came in, which is 20 years ago. City have won seven of those titles and Chelsea have won five. That's 12 of the last 20 years that titles have been won directly as a result of cheating. That's not good for the game. It's not good for the game at all. You've got eight honestly won titles in 20 years. One for Liverpool, one for Leicester, and the rest for United. It's not a particularly good situation for the Premier League. It's a state of great embarrassment for the Premier League. And the reason they won't take the titles away is because they'd have to do it for all of them. They'd have to take away those... Well, the initial investigation with City would take away three. The secondary investigation, which will need to happen, would take away another four. And the investigation of Chelsea would take away all five if they were to do it properly. But that's how you do it. You take the titles and then you enforce very, very strict oversight on those clubs moving forward. Particularly City, because Chelsea have new owners and Chelsea are self-reporting on this. Chelsea are saying, look, we found all these discrepancies here. We found these records that show this cheating. But with City... You have, to, you have to enforce in-house, independent auditors over every department of their club. And not one transaction, whether it's player wages, a transfer fee, or a stationary run, gets signed off on without said independent auditor overseeing it and understanding what's going on. You're buying what? And where's that money coming from? We're signing an agreement with who? Okay, let's look into this deal. That's what needs to happen. Otherwise, you're not punishing them. Otherwise, you've, you're basically letting them away with what they've done. And that doesn't help anybody. The alternative would probably be the biggest stain on the integrity of English football in history. But the alternative is what should happen. I just don't think they'll have the balls to do it. The only other way to really punish Manchester City for what they have done would be to relegate them to the National League. But they're not going to do that either. Because you see... City bring eyeballs because glory hunters jump on bandwagons. We saw it with United in the 90s. We saw it with Chelsea in the the 2000s. And we've seen it with City in the 2010s and now 2020s. When 
a club starts to have large amounts of success that they hadn't been having previously. And remember, for United, they hadn't won a title in 26 years before Ferguson's first. When clubs start to have that sort of success, glory hunters and people and people who are new to football jump on that bandwagon. Casual fans jump on the bandwagon. There's a lot of city casual fans knocking around certain parts of the world that were previously Chelsea fans or previously United fans when they were the successful teams. You see, those people watch games on television. Watching games on television raises the the amount of money that those television providers are willing to put into the Premier League. So they won't relegate City that far because they won't be without City for four or five years. One year, the Premier League can stomach. You'd wonder how much of a fight a stomach for the fight, though, the Premier League has. You really would. I saw someone say today that what they should do is they should remove City's owners. Unfortunately, there isn't really a way to do that because it's not like in American sports where the clubs are franchises and basically at the end of the day, they are still owned by the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball the NHL, the MLS, they have that right to come in and remove an owner. We've seen that happen in uh, a couple of the US sports, most notably Donald Sterling, who the NBA basically seized the LA Clippers off him. Uh, They'd been looking for an excuse to get rid of him for a long time. But when the tapes of him just casually being a racist came out, the NBA seized an opportunity and took that franchise off him and sold it on his behalf to Steve Ballmer. Now, he, Sterling got his money, but the NBA were able to take the franchise off him. We've seen it happen in other places. I'm almost certain it happened with the New Orleans Pelicans as well, where David Stern stepped in and basically took the Pelicans and helped have them sold. I know Bud Selig did it at least once in Major League Baseball as well. Um, and oftentimes the league will just run the franchise while they undertake the search for a new owner. But that's basically what the difference is. That isn't the case in the Premier League. In the Premier League, these clubs are owned outright by said owner. So they can't do that. And I don't think it would affect City's ownership for, on a one-year relegation. I think they'd just sort of laugh it off, especially if they got to keep their, their titles and whatever else. Um, but if you, if you properly implement real oversight on them and strip their titles, then I think it'll, it'll, hit, them, it'll hit them pretty hard. Um, that is all on that for now. We will, we will have more as the days and weeks progress. Uh, Everton have released a statement uh, in response to the points deduction. Uh, The statement reads as follows. Everton Football Club is both shocked and disappointed by the ruling of the Premier League's commission. The club believes that the commission has imposed a wholly disproportionate and unjust sporting sanction. 
The club has already communicated its intention to appeal the decision to the Premier League. The appeals process will now commence and the club's case will be heard by an appeal board appointed pursuant to the Premier League rules in due course. Everton maintains it has been open and transparent in the information that is provided to Premier League. Yeah, but you, you you massively lied about the money you lost during COVID, so let's not brush that under the rug. And that has always respected the integrity of the process. Well, you didn't respect the integrity of the process when you flagrantly broke the profit and sustainability rules, which you knew were in place and you knew you were breaking, but you had to break to stay in the division. The club does not recognise the finding that it failed to act with the utmost good faith. That's just ignorance. And it does not understand this to have been an allegation made by the Premier League during the course of proceedings. Both the harshness and severity of the sanction imposed by the Commission are neither fair nor reasonable reflection of the evidence submitted. Well, I, I, I tend to disagree. The club will also monitor with great inter- interest, <laughs> here we go, the decisions made in any other case concerning the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. There is no other case concerning them. City's case is more wide-ranging than that. But that is obviously a, a mention to the City case. Everton cannot comment any further until the appeal has been concluded. Um, Colin Chung, who is the interim chief executive officer, has then made a video statement basically saying the same thing. Uh, So why they've decided to put that out, I have no idea. Um, Like I said, look, they're, they're leveling points with Burnley. They're a point behind Sheffield United and two points behind Luton. This is best case scenario for them. Their big concern is what comes next in terms of lawsuits, especially as they're in the process of trying to sell the club. That's where Everton find themselves right now. How much do 777, 37? Is it 777? How much do they uh, want to take on the possibility of 150, 200, 300 million? pounds worth of lawsuits on top of the costs of the stadium and a club that runs at a significant loss every year. It'll be interesting to find out. Right. Um, There's not a whole lot going on. We do have some international football, obviously. So we had games last night. Spain beat Cyprus 3-1. Uh, the incredibly gifted Lamine Yamal scored his second international goal. <clears throat> he is 16 years of age. And he is playing and scoring for one of the world's biggest national teams. That's uh, I know it's Cyprus, but still, that is an incredible achievement. Uh, Georgia drew 2-2 with Scotland. Kvica Kvalachkelia scoring twice. Scott McTominay and um, Lawrence Shankland, who was obviously called up into the squad late, getting the goals there. Portugal beat Liechtenstein 2-0, Cristiano Ronaldo and João Canseo with the goals in a game nobody really cared about. Luxembourg beat Bosnia and Herzegovina 4-1. That's a fantastic result for Luxembourg, obviously. They've, they've been very much on the up in the last couple of years. Slovakia beat Iceland 3-0. Um, Azerbaijan beat Swe- 
Slovakia beat Iceland 4-2, sorry. Azerbaijan beat Sweden 3-0. Uh, Estonia lost 2-0 at home to Austria. Bulgaria and Hungary drew 2-2. Montenegro and Lithuania drew... No, they didn't. Montenegro beat Lithuania uh, 2-0. Let's have a look at where we sit in terms of the qualifiers, though. Uh, group A. Seven games in, one more to play for Spain, Scotland, Norway, and Georgia. Um, Spain are top, they're through. Scotland are second, they're through. And Norway likely going into the playoffs. Georgia also going into the playoffs via the Nations League. Um, Group B, multiple games left to be played here. Uh, There are games on tomorrow night in this group. Uh, As things stand, France are top. They They have qualified. The Netherlands are second. Uh, looking a decent bet to qualify, but Greece can also get in automatically. Uh, Ireland have been eliminated and Gibraltar have been eliminated. Ireland take on the Netherlands in the Netherlands, and I would expect the Netherlands to win that game quite comfortably. France take on Gibraltar. You'd expect France to win. Then it's uh, the Netherlands away to Gibraltar on the 21st and Greece at home to France. I think the Netherlands will win both games. I think they'll qualify with France out of that group. Uh, Group C, obviously that's England's group. England are top. And England do play tonight against Malta. Italy also take on North Macedonia. Italy need to get their act together. They're three points behind Ukraine, but they do have a game in hand. But they need to win both games. And the last game is against Ukraine. It's at a neutral venue, been played in Leverkusen, but Italy need to beat North Macedonia tonight and then go to Ukraine, or then go to the the game against Ukraine and win um, to be certain of automatic qualification. Um, England, obviously, very, very comfortable in that group. No one has really turned up to to challenge them. Uh, Group D, Turkey are through. And it is basically down to Wales or Croatia for the second spot. They have two games left apiece. Wales travel to Armenia tomorrow night, while Croatia are in Latvia tomorrow night. And then next week, it's Croatia home to Armenia, Wales home to Turkey. You would have to say it's advantage Croatia, given the remaining fixtures. In Group E, Albania topped the group. They've had a fantastic qualifier so far. And with two games left, they travel to Moldova and then they have the Faroe Islands at home. So they look really good in terms of their chances of securing not just qualification, but top spot in that group. Uh, The Czech Republic are second, Poland are third. Poland play the Czech Republic tonight and that game is going to be quite defining. If Poland win, they're in a good position but they would still need Moldova to take something off the Czechs um, in the last game. So Czech Republic, basically win one of your last two, you're in. Uh, Albania, win one of your last two, you should top the group. Win both, you definitely top the group. Um, on to Group F. Austria and Belgium have qualified. 
It's just now a matter of do Belgium win their last game and overtake Austria as group winners. Uh, Belgium play Azerbaijan and Sweden take on Estonia in the last two games. Austria have played their eight games and they finish with 19 points. Belgium have 17. So win the last game, which you'd expect them to beat Azerbaijan. Um, they'll top the group and Austria will be second. Uh, moving on then to Group G. Hungary have qualified with a game to spare. Fantastic achievement. They will play again on the 19th. Uh, Serbia currently second. It's them or Montenegro, which is kind of ironic considering they used to be one combined team. Uh, they are competing for second place. Hungary take on Montenegro in Budapest. That is Sunday night. Also Sunday night, Serbia home to Bulgaria. You'd expect that Serbia will beat Bulgaria, who are dreadful, and that should see them go through, either as group winners or as runners-up, depending on how seriously Hungary take that Montenegro game, considering they've already qualified. Uh, On to Group H, then, where we have Slovenia top, Denmark second, and Kazakhstan third, and all three of them still in with a a chance, because this is a group with 10 games to be played. And all teams have two games left. Tonight, Kazakhstan take on San Marino. Finland take on Northern Ireland, uh, who can't qualify. Uh, Finland can get themselves into the... Well, Finland are going to be in the playoffs because they get through because of the Nations League. Uh, But they could still finish third, potentially. Uh, Denmark take on Slovenia in the big game of the night in that group with... Both sides looking good value to to qualify. Um, Denmark are away to Northern Ireland in a few days. Finland are away to San Marino and Slovenia are home to Kazakhstan. So Denmark and Slovenia look like the two most likely qualifiers from that group. On to Group I. And we have Switzerland top, Romania second, Israel third. There are two games left for everybody here. Tonight, Belarus take, sorry, tomorrow night, Belarus take on Andorra. Switzerland face Romania. No, they don't. Israel face Romania and Switzerland face Kosovo. Um, In the last game, we will have Andorra against Israel, Kosovo, Belarus, and Romania, Switzerland in what could be a decisive game if, say, Israel were to win their next game, go into the final game with a chance to qualify then the Switzerland-Romania game could become quite uh, interesting because maybe only one of them gets through rather than the pair of them. Uh, group J, which is a bit of a joke of a group, to be fair, uh, Portugal are just rampant. They Nine games, nine wins, 32 goals scored, two conceded. They're qualified. Slovakia are through uh, with 19 points. Luxembourg are going to finish third in this group, which is a great achievement for them, ahead of Iceland and Bosnia. Nobody expected much from Liechtenstein anyway. Um, just the one round of games left. It will be Bosnia and Herzegovina versus Slovakia, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, and Portugal, Iceland. So you'd expect Portugal to win. Slovakia, away to Bosnia won't be easy, but it, it matters not at all, really. But you'd expect Luxembourg to beat Liechtenstein. And 17 points from their 10 games would be an incredible achievement, considering 
it's not that long ago you used to look at them and think, oh, we'll beat them. Even Ireland used to look at them and think, well, we'll beat them five or six nil. So, you know, they, they've definitely made a decent fist of things. Um, what else do we have? Oh, ongoing is, of course, the FIFA Under-17 Men's World Cup, uh, which is currently taking place in Indonesia. 24 teams from six confederations in four host cities. And we are almost set for the round of 16. So if you haven't been paying attention, we'll rattle through this quickly. Group A, uh, Morocco and Ecuador advanced from that group with Indonesia uh, in third, Panama in fourth. Group B, Spain, Mali and Uzbekistan advanced. Canada dropped out. Group C, England, Brazil and Iran advanced. New Caledonia go out. Group D, Argentina, Senegal and Japan all advance. Poland drop out. Um, Group E, it is France and the United States getting through. South Korea potentially potentially into the knockouts um, along with Indonesia. Uh, They could potentially qualify uh, for the best third place records um which would be a remarkable thing south korea won't get in like they won't get in but you never know um group f germany and venezuela will likely go through uh but mexico could cause a bit of a, a stir there if they win their game against new zealand and germany beat venezuela um i it may well be that Venezuela are already through. But we do have games tonight in this competition. We have the USA versus, sorry, this is tomorrow night, USA versus France, Burkina Faso versus South Korea, and New Zealand, New, Me- New Zealand, Mexico, Germany, Venezuela. The knockout phases are largely lining up. Uh, Senegal will take on uh, one of the qualifiers. England are through, obviously, Mali. Morocco will play Iran. Ecuador will play Brazil. Argentina wait on their opponent. Spain will play Japan. And then there's one more to be confirmed. Uh, This competition runs all the way through till the 2nd of November. So if you haven't been watching, might be a chance to just jump in on it and get to know some of the the future stars of the game, I suppose. If we look through the squads, let's have a look at England's squad, uh, which will be the one that we might actually have some familiarity. Just bear in mind, Lamine Yamal, who's playing for Spain's senior team, should be at this tournament. He should be at this tournament, but instead he's off playing for the senior team, uh, such as the level of talent that kid has. Um, where is this England squad? There it is. Right. Uh, Isha Samuel Smith of Chelsea is is a name that's been touted as someone with a big future. Um, Tyler Dibbling of Southampton, Michael Golding of Chelsea, Tommy Setford, who's at Ajax, uh, Jaden Meghoma of Southampton, Harrison Murray Campbell of Chelsea, Ted Curd of Hashtag United. That's a pretty amazing achievement. We'll come back to that. Reese Alexander Russell Denny of Chelsea, 
Uh, two double-barreled names in one. That's um, parents not doing him any real favours. Uh, Joe Johnson of of Luton, promising left back. Uh, Miles Lewis Skelly of Arsenal, Chris Rigg of Sunderland, uh, Ethan Noanery of Arsenal, a very very talented player. No Liverpool players, only one Manchester United player. Chelsea, Man City, and a few from Arsenal, and a bunch from Southampton. Uh, actually, one, two, three from Southampton, two from Arsenal, one, two, three, four, five, five from Chelsea, one, two, four from City, one from West Ham, one from Ajax, one from Luton, one from Rangers, one from Sunderland, and one from Hashtag United. Now, he is owned by Chelsea, but he is playing for Hashtag United. He asked for the move as well. He asked Chelsea to let him come out of their academy and move to Hashtag. If you don't know Hashtag United, I'm not really sure how, um, Spencer Carmichael Brown, known to everybody on YouTube, on YouTube as Spencer FC, started this club with his brother. And I think he's done an absolutely amazing job. They've got their own ground. They've built a decent fan base. They've already been promoted a couple of times. They're in the, uh, the Premier Division of the Eastman League uh, after being promoted last season. They're third promotion in five years. That was their third promotion in five years. They started out in the Eastern Counties League, Division One South in nineteen twenty sorry, in 1819, got promoted. Then they played in the Essex Senior League. Season was abandoned because of COVID. The next season, 2021, they played in the Essex Senior League again and got promoted. Then they went into the North Division of the Eastman League, uh, finished eighth, and then last season they won won the league and got promoted. That's outstanding. They've also got their own Sunday League team, and they've got a women's team. They've got their own reserves. They've got a development league team. This is incredible what Spencer has done here. A um, couple of notable players in the hashtag team as well. Uh, Craig Holford, people might remember him. He played in the Premier League, was at Reading, Sunderland, loans at Charlton, Sheffield United, played for Wolves, played for Portsmouth, played for Forest, played for Brighton, Rotherham, Birmingham, Cardiff, Aberdeen, Southend, then went to Waterford and is now with hashtag. Four caps for England in the 20s. Uh, he was a good player back in the day. Never quite reached the level he should have, but kind of got caught between he should have been a centre-back when he came through managers didn't trust him as centre-back because he was so young, so he got stuck playing right back, and he kind of got caught in between the two positions same thing happened to Martin Kelly, same thing happened to Andre Wisdom and others over the years um, Nathan Smith, also in this town, used to play for Yeovil for a long, long time, he's a good player um Good experience name in that. Uh, Sak Hassan is in the squad as well. I remember him at QPR's academy being very, very highly rated. Um, yeah. 
Fair play. I hope it goes very, very well. I hope they continue to get promoted. And uh, it would be quite incredible if they managed to make it to the Football League, especially considering the name is hashtag United, which I, I'm fairly certain Spencer chose only to piss people off. Um, and, and good for him. Good for him. But yeah, that's pretty cool that there's a player who's on loan with them, obviously not owned by them, but on loan with them, playing for England in the Under-17 World Cup. Uh, Going back then to games taking place like last night, in South America, uh, Bolivia beat Peru 2-0. Venezuela beat Ecuador. We had a bunch of games in the African qualifying. Egypt beat Djibouti 6-0. Uh, Sudan, Togo, 1-1. Nigeria, Lesotho, 1-1. Cape Verde, Angola, 0-0. Morocco against Eritrea was cancelled. Burundi beat Gambia, 3-2. Gabon beat Kenya, 2-1. Botswana lost, 3-2 at home to Mozambique. And Algeria beat Somalia, 3-1. Loads of qualifiers in Asia, 2. Let's just run down through them. Qatar, 8. Afghanistan, 1. Kuwait, 0. India, 1. Japan 5, Myanmar 0. Syria 1, North Korea 0. Reported as Syria 1, North Korea 11 in North Korea. Uh, South Korea 5, Singapore 0. Thailand 1, China 2. Malaysia 3, Kyrgyzstan. Sorry, Malaysia 4, Kyrgyzstan 3. Oman 3, Taiwan 0. Turkmenistan 1, Uzbekistan 3. Iran 4, Hong Kong 0, Philippines 0, Vietnam 2, Iraq 5, Indonesia 1, Tajikistan 1, Jordan 1, Saudi Arabia 4, Pakistan 0, United United Arab Emirates 4, Nepal 0, Yemen 2, Yemen 0, Bahrain 2, Australia 7, Bangladesh 0, and Lebanon 0, Palestine 0. Free Palestine. Um, yeah, there was some other games that took place. In South America, we had Argentina nil, Uruguay 2, Ronald Arreo and Darwin Nunes with the goals, which ended Argentina's 14-match winning run, which was a very impressive achievement for Uruguay going into Argentina. That game had plenty of needle as well. Um I watched that one, didn't watch this one. I've just seen the highlights. Colombia 2, Brazil 1. Um, Luis Diaz scoring twice for Colombia, putting on a virtuoso performance. Gabriel Martinelli with the only goal for Brazil. Uh, great win for Colombia. And Chile nil, Paraguay nil. Um Sounds like it was a fairly boring game. Both teams of the player sent off. Um, but, you know, I'm not really sure. I, I might I might stick on some highlights of that later on. How that all works out anyway. Every team, all 10 of them have played five games. Argentina are top. They all go into one group. Six qualify for the World Cup. They're playing for the 2026 World Cup already because that's just what they do. Um, yeah, six qualifies. So as things stand, Argentina are top on 12 points. 
then Uruguay on 10, Colombia, who are the only unbeaten team, have nine, Venezuela have eight, Brazil have seven, not going particularly well for them, Ecuador have five, Paraguay have five, Chile have five, Bolivia have three, and Peru have one. Should point out that Ecuador would have eight points, but they were de- deducted three points for falsifying birth documents for uh, Byron Castillo in the last cycle of World Cup qualifying. So, um, basically, it's a bit of an odd situation regarding his kind of We'll go, I'll just read what it says here. In 2017, Castillo was separated from the Ecuador under-20 squad after allegations he was born in Tumaco, a Colombian city near the Ecuadorian border. He was accused of altering his birth documentation in 2019, and this issue kept him out of any Ecuador national team until 2021. In February 2021, an investigation started to determine if Castillo was Ecuadorian or Colombian. Finally, on the 24th of April of that year, his Ecuadorian nationality was confirmed. In May of 2022, the Chilean Football Federation submitted a complaint to FIFA about his nationality, alleging he was born in Tumaco, Colombia, in July of 1995. FIFA closed the investigation after nearly one month on the 10th of June, confirming Ecuador's spot in the World Cup. So Chile were trying to get Ecuador thrown out, so they could qualify. Spanish newspaper Marca published audio that was apparently of Castillo admitting his illegitimate entry into Ecuador, as well as his birthplace in Colombia and his correct year of birth. So he had been claiming, I believe, that he was born a year later in Ecuador. Um, where am I going? Oh, yeah. But since the nationality of a player is defined by national law, Ecuador recognizes him as an Ecuadorian national, and he never played for Colombia. He has been eligible to play for the national team. So even though Ecuador said, yeah, he's one of ours, they got punished. It's a strange situation, but it is what it is. Uh, Ecuador should still qualify I would imagine the six in those positions right now, Argentina, Uruguay, Colombia, Venezuela, Brazil, and Ecuador will be the ones who qualify. Paraguay do have some talent, like Enciso. Chile, there's not a whole lot to be massively keen on in their squad. Um, Goalkeepers aren't great. You've still got Gary Medal knocking around. No young defenders kind of making a name for themselves anywhere. Uh, Dario Osorio, the young midfielder at Mitteland, is one to keep an eye on. Marcelino Nunes of Norwich is, is decent. Um, don't know Cesar Perez or Vicente Pizarro, but they're both in the national team. They're both quite young. Uh, Damien Pizarro of Colo Colo, he's been linked to somebody else recently. I assume he and Vicente are related because they look a little bit alike. Let's see. Jaime 
Pizarro. No, I don't think they are. Eh. Um, yeah, not not the most. Um, not the most intriguing team, the Chileans. You know, with Vidal no longer part of the picture, with uh, Charles Arangues seemingly no longer part of the picture. I don't know. I, I, it'll be interesting to see if they bring those players back. They're still heavily reliant on them. Uh, the Paraguay squad, who's in that? That might be of note. Um, Juan Caceres, I saw him play recently for Lanos. He looks decent. Um, Midfields. Diego Gomez of, of Inter Miami does look a talent. Oscar Cardoso is still in the squad. Um, Antonio Sanabria I, I do quite like him he's at Torino he's still in the squad you've got Almiron obviously you've got Enciso you've got the Gonzalez kid at Wolves he's not a senior international yet but I'd imagine he will be before too long but yeah the Paraguayan squad isn't exactly you know bursting at the seams with high-end talent either, whereas you look at Ecuador and there's just a lot of very, very good players in that group. In Capier, obviously, big talent. Uh, William Pacho and Eintracht Frankfurt, big, big talent. Uh, in You've also got a Stupinen who's currently injured but otherwise would be in that squad. You've got Diego Palacios of uh, LAFC who looks a good player. Ordonez of Club Bruges looks a player. In midfield, then, you've got Moises Caicedo, who we know is outstanding. Kendry Paez, who really does look, really does look the business. Uh, Oscar Zambrano, who Luton are trying to sign, and we'll wait and see if that one plays out. Uh, Alan Franco of Atletico, uh, Atletico Nero is a good player. Uh, Sufientes of Rangers is a good player. Carlos Grozo of San Jose Earthquakes is a good player. And then in attack, you've got the likes of Kevin Rodriguez, Jordi Caicedo. Um, Gonzalo Plata not in this current squad Jeremy Sarmiento not in this current squad Ener Valencia not in the current squad there's a lot of talent uh, in that in that Ecuadorian group um, which potentially potentially could lead to quite a good period for them in the next six to seven years I'm curious to see if this Zambrano kid does come across to Luton how he adapts to the Premier League because we've had a, a few Ecuadorian success stories in recent years. Um, Venezuela are probably the surprise package, how well they've done. Um, what's their squad looking like? Let's see. Uh, defensively, Foresi of uh, Sao Paulo's good. Don't know. Oh, that Orumbura kid from Real Sociedad, he does look a decent player. Uh, Thomas Rincon still knocking about. Always been a big fan of him. Quality ball winner. Caceres, the midfielder at Toulouse, he he does look a player, look good against Liverpool. Yanhel Herrera is is outstanding, genuinely an outstanding player. Um, so so important that Girona team this year. 
Solomon Rondon up front. Again, there's not a whole lot of like standout talent. And again, not a lot of standout young talent that's made its way to Europe as yet. But we do see this happen where countries just become a hotspot for three to five years. And then all of a sudden we get a, a bunch of them coming across to Europe and doing very, very well. And Ecuador is kind of in the middle of that at the moment. And it may well be that Venezuela is next. Um, the young the young striker at Shakhtar, he's not in the senior squad for, for Venezuela. He doesn't sound like he should be Ecuadorian. He sounds American. Kelsey. Yeah. Kevin, Carl, Kevin Kelsey, Carl Kelsey, Kevin Kelsey. I think it's Kevin Kelsey. Um, keep an eye on him. He's he's a big, bustly centre forward who I think is going to end up being quite a decent player. Um, I'll just keep going at some of this. What else do the Colombians have that's of interest to us? Uh, Yeri Mina, now Fiorentina, and of course injuries. Uh, Yerson Mascara, who is on loan with Cincinnati from Wolves. Not sure why Wolves loaned him out. He's a very talented defender who Wolves could do with bringing back. Uh, Jan Lasumi of Bologna, who was formerly playing in Belgium for Genk. He does look a good player as well. Definitely one that I think is capable of of good things. Uh, Bologna obviously having a really good season, so maybe he's, he's a big part of that. I haven't watched a whole lot of them play this year. You've got uh, Matthias Uribe, who's been around for a long time, kicking people for Porto. Jefferson Lerma. Yasser Espria, he's really good. I really like Yasser Espria. He impresses me. Every time I've watched him play for Watford, I've come away thinking that's a kid that's going to play at the very highest level. He's very, very good. He's only 19. He's dealt really well with the championship. Um, he's already made 54 appearances for Watford with 52 of them coming in the championship. So, you know, he's he's getting battle-hardened. Wouldn't be at all surprised if he's a Premier League player even after January. Um, Luis Diaz, Rafael santos Bor, Luis Sinistera. Who's not in the squad? Frank Fabra. Bit of a head case, but a decent player. Santiago Arias. Good right back, to be fair to him. He is a good right back. Uh, Juan David Mascara, another decent fullback up at Portland Timbers. Um, Wilmer Barrios, really good defensive midfielder now with Zenith and Petersburg, was with Boca for a long, well, actually not a long time, only a couple of years. It seemed like a longer time, but he's, he's been with Zenith since 2019. I think it was that long, genuinely. But he's a very good defensive midfielder. Uh, Juan Cuadrado, still in the squad. Juan Quintero, remember him? Another one of the next Messi generation of short attacking midfielders. That is a, a journeyman, to say the least. Uh, Envigado, Atletic Na- Atletico Nacional, Pescara. Then he joined Porto in 2013, had three different loan spells, Ren, Independiente Medellin, and River Plate. Then he joined River Plate for a year. He joined River Plate in 2019, and he's played for Shenzhen in China, 
River Plate again, Atletico Junior in Colombia and Racing in Argentina since. He's at a different club. One, two, three, four, five, six. He's moved basically every year for the last seven years uh, and seven of the last eight. He's never really had any stability in his in his career, which is sort of why he hasn't lived up to the uh, the hype and expectation that was once put on his head. Um, John Durin of uh, Villa looks a great, great, great prospect. Radamel Falco is is still available to the squad as and when they need him. So he hasn't been called up since March. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. It's not a bad squad, the uh, the Colombian squad. I love the Uruguayan squad, and Argentina obviously is world champions, but outside of them two in Brazil, it's quite a few unknowns. Anyone in the Bolivia squad or the Peru squad that's worth keeping note of? Anyone? I always look for players that are like, say, 1920 that get called up to a pretty decent national team. And then try and track where they go, especially if they're a player like obviously you don't know. Uh, Miguel Tesarius, eight caps for Bolivia, playing for Santos in Brazil, might be one to uh, to keep an eye on. Um, Marcelo Martins is still in this squad. He's now thirty six, playing in Ecuador. Uh, that's pretty much it. A lot of the Ecuadorian squad. Oh, sorry, the, the Bolivian squad, rather, still playing in Bolivia, um, where they've just got some great names for their clubs. Like, Club the Strongest is fantastic. Club Always Ready, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, Aurora, obviously. Bolivar, obviously. They've been around for a long time. Royal Parry, they're not. They're relatively new. Um some of these names are just great, though. Blooming. Wilsterman. Brilliant. Uh, moving on to Peru. Who have you got for me? Uh, Kula, the right back, is is probably among their best players, but he is now 33. Uh, was the guy who was great for Boca in the Libertadores final. Um... Marcos Lopez, the left back, who's at Feyenoord now, he looks a decent player. Uh, Renato Tapi of Celta Vigo. Cartagena of Orlando City looks a good player. Paulo Guerrero, still knocking about 39 years of age, 114 caps. He's playing in Ecuador now. No, again, there's nobody that's sort of jumping out as. Uh, you know, this might be the saviour, but you never know. It often only takes one. Uh, right, we'll go to break. When we come back, we'll just get wrapped up with some news and some gossip, and that'll be us for today, because there's not a whole lot going on other than dull international football. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, we have uh, bits of news, and we've got three days' worth of gossip to get into. So, Eduardo Camavinga has suffered a knee ligament injury while on international duty. With France, he collided with his own teammate, Usman Dembele, and has a torn lateral lateral collateral ligament. No timescale has been given 
for his return. That is a big, big blow, especially given Vinicius is also one who got injured in this uh, group of international games. Militao out long-term with a bad knee injury. Courtois out long-term with a bad knee injury. Arda Guler signed in the summer, hasn't played yet this season with a knee injury. So uh, things going against Real Madrid at the moment, which I think we can all get on board with. Uh, Mikel Arteta has been charged by the FA for comments made after Arsenal's 1-0 defeat to Newcastle. Uh, He called the decision to allow Newcastle's goal embarrassing and a disgrace. Um, And he has rightly been been charged because every other manager who's criticised him has been charged. So whether he's right or wrong, and I think he's right because I think it was a disgrace that Joe Lington was basically allowed to mount Gabriel. Uh, You can't, you just can't say what he said and not get punished for it. You know, I, I don't agree with the punishment, but that's just the way the rules are. Every other manager gets punished, so he has to be. Um, Right, what else do we have? We have a quiz. Okay. Can you name England's most capped captains? From Cuthbert Ottaway. Cuthbert, what a name. In the 1870s to Harry Kane, the England men's national team has had 152 official captains in their 151-year history. So can you name the players that won the most caps for England as the team's captain? Okay. Caps won not captaining the side are not included. Right, let's have a look. 1956 to 1959, 90 caps as captain. 1956 to 1959. Billy Wright. Yes. Uh, 1962 to 1970. That's an easy one. That's going to be Bobby Moore. 1980 to 81. 65 caps has to be Brian Robson. Uh, 19, sorry, 2015 to present, 64 caps has to be Harry Kane. So Harry Kane, when he plays his next game, will actually tie Brian Robson for the third most caps as England captain. I didn't realise Kane had captained England that many times. And uh, 90, so the, the it's obviously career and then the caps as captain. So 1996, 2009, 59 caps, it has to be Beckham, 59 caps as captain. Uh, 2000 to 2014, 38 times England captain. That uh, would that be John Terry? No, he didn't make his England debut that early. Stephen Gerrard will be the other one from that era. Yeah, 1992 to 2000, 34 caps as captain. Uh, captains in the 90s. It's not Stuart Pierce's first captain's first game was in the 80s. Um, David Platt would have played for England earlier than that. I don't think he was officially captain. Maybe he was, but he wouldn't count here. Uh, Alan Shearer. Correct. Uh, 03 to 2012, 34 times England captain. That is John Terry. 
He's the other one from that era. 72 to 82, 31 times England captain. 72 to 82. I think Emlyn Hughes, maybe? No. Not Emlyn Hughes. Kevin Keegan. Yes. 2003 to 2018, 23 times captain. Uh, that has to be Wayne Rooney. Yeah. 1969 to 1980. I'm going to guess that one is Emlyn Hughes. And that is Emlyn Hughes. Okay, perfect. There we go. 11 out of 11. Because I actually guessed Hughes and he was on the list. So I'm taking 11 out of 11 if you don't like it. So <laughs> we're going to do the gossip and get ourselves done for the day. Uh, Manchester United will consider big offers. For, sorry, will consider offers for Casemiro with the Saudi Pro League targeting a big money offer. That makes sense. Uh, Chelsea are unlikely to put in a bid for Victor Offerman in the January transfer window, of course. Offerman is said to be open to a move to Stamford Bridge, but Chelsea will have to wait till next summer. Nice and France centre-back Jean-Claire Tadebo has emerged as, has emerged as the primary year transfer for Manchester United. This is Jack Talbot, who is, of course, an enormous spoofer. Uh, Juventus contacted Manchester United last week over a loan deal for Jadon Sancho. Manchester United and Tottenham have joined Liverpool and Arsenal in the race to sign Andre. Liverpool are not in that race. Barcelona have set Rafinha's transfer fee at £60 million. Uh, that is Steve K. Exclusive spoofing. Uh, that fella doesn't know his arse from his watch. Uh, Arsenal have been alerted to the possible January availability of Ruben Neves. It's 90minute.com, so probably nonsense. Uh, there's also Arsenal Douglas Luis stuff here. Joao Polino said that his failed deadline day move to Bayern Munich really affected him. Okay. Newcastle will look to bring in a striker in January and could target Stuttgart's 27-year-old Guinea Ford Serhu Garassi having a really good season. Uh, Jorginho would like to return home and play for an Italian club before the end of his career. Um, okay. The issue I would take there is that for Jorginho to return home, he would have to go back to Brazil because Brazil is his home. He moved to, England, to, to Italy when he was 15, but his, his home is Brazil, and he, and he said that himself. Uh, but obviously he does play for the Italian national team and has had a very good career for Italy. But it would make sense for him to go and you know finish his career in. I think he should go to Italy next and then go back to Brazil and actually play in Brazil. So I think he'd actually enjoy it. I think he'd do really well. He could extend his career there as well. He's only 31, so he's got plenty of time left. Leeds will soon begin contract talks with Archie Gray amid interest in Liverpool. We'll see how that goes. Charlton and Leighton Orient are interested in signing Jamie Donnelly on loan from Tottenham. Um, Harry Kane has a clause in his contract. If he scores more than 40 goals in all competitions, in a single season, he will receive €250,000. I'm surprised it's that low, because he's definitely going to do it. I'm surprised he didn't push for more. Barcelona want to make Joe Felix's move permanent. He's on loan there, obviously, from Atletico Madrid. 
Sweden midfielder Emil Forsberg has verbally agreed to join New York Red Bulls from RB Leipzig, says the spoofer with the catchphrase. Speaking of the spoofer with the catchphrase, uh, can we stop pretending that he's anything other than a social media influencer? And can we then stop labeling David Ornstein as a social media influencer, considering David Ornstein's an actual journalist? And Romano's a spoofer who works for people they call it offside Twitter and Instagram. Um, American billionaire Leon Cooperman has invested in Manchester United, purchasing shares valued at $10.5 billion. He is the chairman and CEO of Omega Advisors. Uh, I wonder... Does he have any kind of private connections to either the Glazers, where maybe he's doing them a little bit of a favor here, or potentially to um, Jim Ratcliffe? And maybe there's a relationship there. Um, Don't really know. Don't know anything about him, being completely honest. Uh, He did work for Goldman Sachs for a a long, long time and then set up uh, this Omega Advisors company. Was was charged with insider trading back in 2016, so that's always nice. Uh, Football lawmakers are considering adopting a 10-minute sin bin for dissent. I would not be against that. Would not be against that at all. Uh, Newcastle are interested in Ferran Torres. I could see that, actually, to be fair. I, I could see him fitting in well there. Newcastle are weighing up a 20 million bid for Jonathan Tha. Okay. Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester City are monitoring Alfonso Davies' situation with Bayern, but all think he wants to join Real Madrid. Well, that's because outlets like your crap one have told them he wants to join 90minute.com. Uh, I told him he wants to join Real Madrid, 90minute.com. Uh, Manchester United will not let Jaden Sancho leave for a reduced price. Yes, they will. United will listen to offers, yada, yada. Chelsea are ready to rival Arsenal and Liverpool for Corinthians' 18-year-old Brazilian midfielder, Gabriel Moscardo, who would cost $26 I think he costs a little bit less, but I really want Liverpool to get him. He does look a hell of a talent. Uh, Newcastle and England striker Callum Wilson will be out for at least six weeks. And Sven Botman could be sidelined for even longer because of a knee injury. Not good for the tune right now. Manchester United are monitoring Brighton's 19-year-old Republic of Ireland striker, Evan Ferguson. So says Peter Rourke. So you can put that firmly in a bin. United are considering an approach for Lecce's 23-year-old Nikola Kristovic, who is the Montenegrin striker who's been very, very impressive thus far this season. Um, they definitely need to bring in another striker that they can rotate with uh, Hoyland. Now, Kristovic is not a big-time goal scorer, although he did have a pretty good season in the Slovakian League a couple of years ago. Um, but he is a good link player, and he does work very, very hard. RB Leipzig director Rovan Schroeder is willing to let Timo Werner He's only started two games this season. Leave the club. Tottenham will let Eric Dyer leave if they can find a replacement for 
Mickey van der Ven. Well, that just leads them in the same situation where if the replacement gets injured, then they're back to Eric. They, they have nobody. They have even nobody. So they should just keep him until the end of the season because they need two centre-backs in truth. They need quality backup for both Romero and van der Ven. Then you've got young Ashley Phillips that can maybe develop into your fifth one. And then you can let Dyer go when you've got that group. Uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona are interested in Athletic Bilbao's 21-year-old Spanish winger, Nico Williams, super talented. There are doubts about the future of Manchester United football director, John Murtaugh, and director of football operations, David Harrison, following the announcement that Chief Executive Richard Arnold will leave. Like, do you ever hear such nonsense? Football director, director of football operations, just appoint a sporting director and get him to oversee things and stop with the foolishness. Chelsea could face a points deduction over allegations of a hidden payments. Uh, like I said earlier, that won't actually do anything to them. That's just a slap on the wrist for a flagrant cheating. Uh, Brentford are confident Ivan Tony will sign a new contract at the club. I, I'd be surprised. I would be surprised. Uh, Tony wants a release clause, apparently, according to 90minute.com, so we can put that in the bin. Uh, Jim Ratcliffe is expected to take guidance from Sir Alex Ferguson as he undertakes an overhaul of the club. Every bit of advice Alex Ferguson has handed down since he retired has worked out really badly for United, so that's a terrible idea. Manchester United will compete. Sorry, Manchester City will compete with Liverpool to sign Leroy Sane. I don't think Sane would want to go back to City personally. Uh, Crystal Palace and Fulham are interested in a loan for Timo Werner. Oh, he'd be good at Palace. He'd be good at Palace. Um, Fulham could definitely use him as well, for certain. Arsenal are open to letting Jakob Kivor leave the club on loan as he wants more fo- first-team football. Then they'll be short a defender, though. Why would Arsenal do that? Um, Barcelona midfielder Ilkay Gundogan. Oh, is it, sorry, Ilkay Gundogan's agent has dismissed speculation linking him with a move to Kaiserslautern. He's just gone to Barcelona. Uh, Chelsea could recall Andre Santos from his loan at Nottingham Forest because of his lack of game time. Recall him, send him into a championship team. He'll play a lot more and it'll help him more. Anthony Gordon is not considering switching his international allegiance to Scotland, despite missing out on Garrett Southgate's squad. He's going to end up getting like three caps and that'll be it. That's going to be what happens. Manchester City have agreed a 1.2 million deal to sign Leeds under Leeds 15-year-old English attacking midfielder Finley Gorman. Um, that's according to Wayne Vesey. So that's likely not true. Um, but he is he is meant to be very, very talented. Uh, him and Archie Gray's younger brother are meant to be the two best in that age group in the Leeds Academy and among most academies, to be fair. He, he's meant to be very, very good. Um, South Korea striker Sun Hyung Min has played down concerns. He suffered an injury playing for South Korea against Singapore. Well, that's good news for Spurs, who really don't need any more injuries at the moment. Uh, Right, that'll do, folks. I will see you all on Monday. Hopefully, I'll be able to speak more normally, although I think it's loosened up a bit while we've been on here. So I will see you all then. Take care of yourselves, and goodbye.
Social Podcast Network.